So we are going to be going through a passage this morning, which is Luke 8, ready for it? 12 through 59. Who's ready for me to read the whole thing? Yeah, nervous laughs. Don't worry. I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning as much as I'd love to. Um, so we're going to go through this passage, and there's, this is a passage that's so rich in theology. There's all these little good tidbits, and you can pretty much pick out any like two verses and turn it into an entire uh, sermon. And we can go through this for six months if we wanted to, because it's so awesome. And it was so, when I was preparing this sermon, I just wanted to like, oh, let's go this way. Oh, let's go this way. Oh, God, you're good in this way. And it's like, no, I got to stay focused on what, what we need to do. So I encourage you, we're going to go through it, um, but not line by line. We're not going to read the whole thing. But after this, take notes. And I want you to go back and see the beautiful picture that Jesus displays in this, in, uh, this scripture. And so um, we are going to kind of bullet point or outline what's going on so everybody has a clear picture. So just hang with me because we are going to dive a little bit into what this passage means. And I know when you're sitting there and it's just like scripture after scripture, you're like, man, I'm just being hit with all these facts and ideologies. And don't get bogged down by that, but allow me to, to, to show you these things. And we're going to look at the big picture this morning and what it means for us as Christians, what it uh, allows us to, to do within God's kingdom. And so um, we're going to go through this in this way, and I'm just going to outline it for you, for you now. So this passage is a section in which Jesus and the Pharisees, didn't start my timer, Jesus and the Pharisees are kind of going back and forth. And so this takes place in the temple um, directly after the famous passage when Jesus um, is confronted by the Pharisees, and they're trying to stone the woman, and he tells them, he is, who is without blame, let him throw the first stone. And everybody kind of clears out. And then I assume that people kind of started to gather around again. And then the Pharisees started, or Jesus started to teach, and the Pharisees started to ask questions. And so there's this back and forth and back and forth. And essentially, Jesus will declare a truth, which mostly is that he is Messiah. And then we see the Pharisees respond with indifference or questioning or rebuttals or just, un, just pure unbelief of what Jesus is saying. Um, and so that's kind of the, the generic outline of what we see in these 47 verses. And so the first thing that I want us to see within this is Jesus' persistence with the Pharisees, that he doesn't give up, and he, he like, there's, I'm going to bring up eight different times in this passage um, when he declares who he is. And so the first one is in verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so right off the bat, Jesus opens with this, boom, I am the light of the world, I am the light of life. And so this would have sparked the attention of the Pharisees, and we're going to get into it a little bit later why. But Jesus is already declaring his kingdom, his messiahship over this situation, over this room. So the second thing we see is verse 15 to 16, Jesus says, you judge according to the, your flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So again, Jesus is declaring his authority. He's saying, I have the right to judge. I have the authority. I can judge if I wanted to. And that would have been really offensive to the Pharisees because they were the ones that judged. They were the, uh, the, the chosen ones that had the, uh, the knowledge and the authority to do so. Then in verse 18, Jesus says, I am the one who bears witness about myself. So again, Jesus is declaring his authority because he's saying, I'm above the law. You know, in, in uh, the law of Moses, there had to be two witnesses. And Jesus here is saying, I can bear witness on myself, about myself. 
You know that, that little law that you guys follow? Well, I have authority even over that. Okay? And so we're, we're just kind of touching on each of these little subjects here as a primer so we can understand, you know, what Jesus is saying. Verse 23, Jesus says, He said to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Can you imagine being the Pharisees hearing that? Your wheels turning. It's like, what is he saying? Then in verses 24 and 28, Jesus refers to himself as Christ. So verse 24, we see he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And that statement there, I am he, refers to a bunch of points in the Old Testament where it says, he who is yet to come, who he will be Messiah. And that phrase, it would have sparked something in the, sorry if that was loud in the microphone. It would have sparked something in, in the hearts of the people around him. And they would have started to kind of do the dog head tilt. It's like, what are you trying to say there? And he says it again in verse 28. He says, when, if, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I, do, do, that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So again, he's using this I am he phrase. He's trying to catch the attention of the Pharisees and say, hey, look, I am the Messiah. And this whole phrase of um, when you have lifted up the Son of Man is really cool. You can do a, a deep dive into it if you want. I wish we had time for it. I wish we had time for a bunch of things this morning. I'm so excited about this passage. Um, but if you go into it's John, John 12, it gives more clarity into this passage. And this lifting up of the Son of Man, it reflects two things. One, Jesus being physically lifted up on the cross as a criminal. And two, Jesus being lifted up in worship. And the cool thing is, these aren't mutually exclusive things. These kind of go hand in hand. And John 12 explains that when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, that moment of surrender, the moment where he, he dies and he gives it all to the Father, his faithfulness is glorifying. It is faithfulness. He is lifted up in glory, the Father and Jesus. And so Jesus is saying here, hey, until you see the Son of Man lifted up, you're not going to understand what I'm saying. So the crescendo of Jesus' claims is in verse 58. He says, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Right? And Kelly kind of described this last week for us. This is, a, this is referring back to Moses. When God was calling Moses, and Moses asked, Who am I supposed to go back to the people and say sent, sent me? And he says, I am has sent you. And so the Pharisees, again, would have known this statement. And... Uh, Excuse me. This is actually the point that kind of pushes the Pharisees over the edge. They're like poking and prodding, and we'll get into some of their responses later. And there's these, this big list of things that Jesus is declaring himself to have authority over. And it's this point when Jesus says, I am, meaning I am the Messiah. It's that point that the Pharisees are like, that's it. Pick up the stones. This guy's going, right? They don't understand what Jesus is saying. There's this disconnect in their hearts. There's this hardness, this blindness to this truth. And so Jesus is saying that he has uh, authority over the natural world, over the law of Moses, over death, over these rules. He's declaring authority over all these different things. And the Pharisees are like, nope, we're not accepting this. And so the first thing that we see is that Jesus is thorough in declaring who he is with the, the Pharisees. The second thing that we see is that Jesus doesn't just declare his own authority, but at the same time, he addresses the hardness in the Pharisees' hearts. 
So with the I am the light of the world statement, he's addressing their idol of ritual, right? Because for the, the Pharisees, during this time, specifically when Jesus was speaking to them, it was right after the festival of tabernacle. And so what they would have done part of this festival is they would have lit a menorah and they would have commemorated the time when the Israelites were walking through the desert. And one of the big pictures of this festival was thinking about the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites. And so they're walking around the desert and they followed this pillar. And when it would move, they would move. And so there is this, this visual that was fresh in everybody's minds. And Jesus comes in and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but in light. And that would have been like, Right off the bat, mind-blowing for the Pharisees because they think the God of Israel is the God of Israel. You know, they think themselves haughty. And Jesus comes in and he says, I'm not just the God of Israel, but I am the light of the world. I'm the light for everyone. And so he's addressing these idols already in the hearts of the Pharisees. Then Jesus has two interesting even-if statements that we kind of touched on already. The first one being, if I do bear witness about myself. And the scripture says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So again, Jesus is declaring, I am above the law. And I think it's interesting that that last little bit, he says, the Father who sent me bears witness about me. It's like, why would Jesus say, I can bear witness about myself, and then say, well, the Father bears witness for me too? I think that because he knew the hardness in the Pharisees' hearts, he's like, you know what, I'm going to give these guys an out, and even if you're not believing that I have the authority to be a witness for myself, my Father's a witness for me. So there you go, Pharisees. Like, you got two ways to believe this, and they don't believe it. And in verse 15, there's the other even-if statement, where Jesus says, um, you, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying, well, you know, I'm not judging, but even if I did, it's true. Right? So we have these big statements that Jesus is making. <clears throat> so the next thing that Jesus does is he addresses the idol of heritage in the Pharisees' hearts. And there's this big section where Jesus just has like mic drop moment after mic drop moment, and he's arguing with the Pharisees about who they are. And they're like, we're of Abraham, you know? We're this proud people. We are the chosen people. We are the descendants of Abraham, and we are righteous. And Jesus comes in and he says, actually, my father is righteous. Your father is Satan. And it's like, ooh, Jesus, you know? And so in verse 39 to 42, Jesus tells them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has taught you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did, meaning um, seeking to kill him. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So already they're like, what are you talking about? Like, we're of God. And Jesus said to them, if you were... If God were your father, you would love me. Right? So he's like mic drop moment after mic drop moment. We're not going to get into the minutia of it, but just see that Jesus, in the midst of declaring who he is, he's declaring that there's, there's an issue in the Pharisees' hearts. He's addressing it head on. 
right? And so the Pharisees here, we see they're acting out of the sin of their heart. They think just because of their bloodline, they're good. They got it covered. They're righteous. But in fact, Jesus is saying, no, there's an issue that you're not seeing here. Like your father may be Abraham, but you act like Satan. Like you act out of the sin in your heart. And I think the big thing here is Jesus saying, you know, my kingdom, it's not about who you came from. It's not about who your dad was or who your great granddad was. But when this is all over, it's about who I am. It's about who our heavenly father is. And no bloodline, no descendancy is going to trump when the father, your father in heaven accepts you into the kingdom. You'd think that the Pharisees would get it, right? But they don't get it after all that. So Jesus further kind of lays into him for a lack of a better term. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Right? So they're just not getting it. And us as modern day Christians, we're like, what gives? Like, why don't they understand? But there is a hardness in their heart that was blinding them they couldn't see. So Jesus is claiming that he has this authority over the physical world, right? He's saying, my followers will never taste death. And this is just blasphemous to the Pharisees. And you see that they are, they're saying, even Abraham died. So they're saying, they're putting Abraham on this pedestal, and they're saying, Abraham is way up here. I'm tall, so maybe I'm, the, my hand's not on camera. Abraham's way up here. And they're thinking Jesus is like somewhere down here. Nobody can be above Abraham, our father, the one who gives us our righteousness through our bloodline. And that's wrong. See, they valued Abraham more than Jesus. They valued their lineage more than the truth that was being told to them. I think we're the same way when we, we sometimes idolize promises that God gives us or good things, or it's like, you know what? My favorite part of church is worship. The rest of it, you know, it's okay. But worship, man, if you take worship away, I'm out of here. You know, we've, we've created, taking good things, good promises, and we've turned them into idols. We've turned them into ultimate things. And so my, it kind of reminds me of my three-and-a-half-year-old and <laughs> it's just a funny transition. But it reminds me of my three-and-a-half-year-old, what the Pharisees are doing here. And he'll come into the room saying, Daddy, can I please have a donut? And because I care about his health, I say, no, you cannot, but thank you for asking nicely. And he'll say, well, what if I eat a broccoli? Can I have a donut? It's like, no, you can still not have a donut. Well, um, I went potty earlier in the toilet. Can I have a donut? like, no, my answer was no. Well, you know, what if I clean my room? Can I have a donut? It's like, no, you may not. (laughs) And he's so creative, and he tries to find all these, like, different avenues in order to get a donut. And I realized it's not because he's standing there being like, Dad is a doofus. He's full of baloney, and he's wrong. I need to have a donut. But I think he's standing there, and it's like, I don't understand a situation where I can't get a donut. Like, there's got to be some way in which I can get this donut. And I think the Pharisees are the same way here, where they're like, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but, you know, this donut that I want, like, can you just, like, give me that? Can you give me the truth that I want? So I'm going to pull a Kelly here and ask you guys, are you doing okay? Okay. So this is a whole lot of Scripture and a whole lot of things that I've thrown at you at once. And I know it could be weighty, 
But I just want you to think, all those things were said in this one conversation, right? So Jesus is declaring at least eight times who he is. He's declaring the hardness in the Pharisees' hearts. And so what does this mean for us? Well, it means that Jesus will be patient when we have unbelief in our hearts. Jesus will be patient with us when we're in the temple and we're saying, I don't believe you. Like, show me more. He's willing to walk alongside us to show us the truth that he wants us to see. He is persistent. And we see that he's in the temple, and he doesn't just up and leave the temple. You know, he sticks around. And the Pharisees first rebuke his statement saying, I am the light of the world. It's not like, yeah, you didn't get my first statement, so I'm going to try the next temple. I'm going to go to the next town. But he sticks in there, and he has this really long conversation, 47 verses with them declaring who he is. He sticks around in the temple, and he's not going to abandon us in our temple. He's going to stick by us and continue to declare the truth of who he is in our hearts. He's going to continue to be prescriptive and not just say, this is who I am, but saying, hey, these are the ways that you're not like I am, and I want you to be like me. I desire it. And the, the epitome of Jesus' patience in, this moment, uh, in these moments for me um, is that Jesus knows their hearts. He already knows that their hearts are hardened. So before he even walked in the building, he knew that he was going to be addressing people that wanted to kill him, that wanted to um, say that he was wrong, that wanted to criticize. You know, before he even entered the building, he knew who he was talking to. And like Anthony gave, told us, or told the kids, and all of us for that matter this morning, God knows our hearts. Before you even come to him with anything, he knows what's going on. In verse uh, 43, Jesus says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. In verse 40, 46, he says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reasons why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Some harsh truth for the Pharisees to hear. But Jesus, in these verses, we see that he had a clear picture of what was going on in the internal workings of the Pharisees. And yet he still persisted. He was still true to who he was. And it just reminds me, he says, I am the light of the world. It wasn't, I am the light of the world except for everybody, or except for the Pharisees. You know, I'm the light of everybody else, but the Pharisees, they can go into their own town. They can, I'm going to leave them over here. And so you may ask, like, why did Jesus, Jesus even bother with them? It's because Jesus cares about every single person. Whether your heart is hard, whether you're open to him, he is pursuing and seeking and persisting, and he's not going to stop until you are with him in heaven for eternity. And that's awesome news for us. In Romans 8.34, it says, Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is indeed, who indeed is interceding for us. So even beyond the wonderful gift of the cross, Jesus is still sitting at the right hand of the Father, fighting on our behalf. He is still being persistent and still trying to bring God into our lives. When the Father says, Oh, Mike, he kind of uh, said some rude things to his uh, Uber passenger. Jesus is there saying, Yeah, but don't you see my blood covering him? Don't you see how righteous I am? Jesus is up there interceding on our behalf. This is awesome. So what else does it mean for us? It means that we have the freedom to ask Jesus questions and have healthy wrestling. I think oftentimes um, 
we view God rightfully as righteous and holy and above, but we don't think that we can ask Him questions. And as we sang this morning, God is a good Father, and He wants us to ask questions because that's how we learn. He wants us to wrestle, but there's a right way and a wrong way to wrestle. He wants us to grow. And right now, with the state of society, oh boy, between economic questions and health questions and social questions and who knows what's going on with international diplomacy. I mean, all, I mean, any aspect of society right now, there's so much doubt. There's so much concern. And it's so easy to be unfaithful and look at these things and just be like, I don't even know where to start. And I think everybody's kind of in that same area, myself included. And so we all have these questions that we're just dying for God to answer right? It's like, Lord, if you can just answer this one little question, it'd all be good. I'd have the knowledge. Sometimes we're just not meant to know, unfortunately. God says, I am God, and that's it. So, the Pharisees, as I've said, there's a right way and a wrong way to wrestle with God. And the Pharisees give us a picture of how we should not wrestle with God. And so, um, excuse me, And so if we know that we can wrestle with God, if we know that He is patient, if we know that He is Messiah, then we should be asking, where is that line? How do I know that healthy questioning or a healthy wrestle has turned into being defiant or, or uh, challenging or testing God? See, because the Bible says we're not to test God, but we are allowed to wrestle with Him. And unfortunately, I don't have the answer to that this morning. You're like, what? <laughs> I don't have a clear line in the sand where it's like, if you're on this side, it's a healthy wrestle, and if you're on this side, then you're sinning. But I do have questions that I think that we should be asking, and the Pharisees give help, to help us to understand how to process these questions. So the first one being, when you're asking questions or you're wrestling, are you pursuing Christ or are you pursuing your own self-righteousness? That's to say, are we pursuing truth? Are we pursuing Jesus? We see that the Pharisees pursued self-righteousness. We haven't really talked about some of their responses to what Jesus is saying, so we're going to get in that right now. But all they were doing is trying to point back at themselves. You know, we were talking a little bit about Abraham. All they wanted to do was point back and say, we're righteous, we're puffed up, we're awesome, we're holy. So in verse 12 to 29, I'm just going to list off a few of the things that the Pharisees said to Jesus in response to what he said. In verse 12 to 29, The Pharisees challenged the authority that Jesus declares over himself, saying that he's not operating within the law. In verses 39 to 47, the Pharisees tried to lean on their heritage, as we discussed, um, being that they're blood descendants of Abraham, as an argument for their own righteousness. In verse 52, in response to Jesus saying that those who keep his word will never see death, they accused Jesus of being a Samaritan and being possessed by a demon. So Jesus tells them the truth. And they're like, we're going to insult you. We're going to, the Samaritan, to be called a Samaritan for a Jew, it was like, <gasps> you said what? And so this is what the Pharisees are doing. The issue is they're seeking truth. Pharisees, as a, in a general sense, there are people who spent their entire life studying, right? They're like, we're going to know all the laws. We're going to know all these things. We're going to be pragmatic. When somebody sins, we're going to tell them about it. And they were like the, the seekers of truth during that day. And it's just like, tragic to me reading this passage that they were so adamant about being after truth, and yet the truest of true things was spoken to them. 
and they, they just right over their heads. They couldn't accept it. The next question that I think we should be asking is, are you looking for God to answer with His answer or with your answer? You know, oftentimes, we're wrestling with God, and it's like, Lord, I need more finances. And God comes back and says, I'll sustain you. You're like, that's not the answer I wanted. I wanted a check to be miraculously dropped off at my door. Right? We're looking for our answers instead of His answers. Next question I think we should be asking is, are you asking questions or wrestling out of defiance? So are we saying, like the Pharisees throughout the Bible, they come to Jesus and they're like, we got a question for you. You know, who pays, like, give to Caesar or the, the whole, uh, I shouldn't even get into it right now. I'm going to go on a tangent. I'm going to stop myself. But throughout the Bible, the Pharisees go and they try to confront Jesus and they ask questions, not because they want the answer, but they, they want to catch God in a lie, which is impossible right? And so, do we come to God, and it's like, ooh, I think I found something that I can, like, I can, like, pull a fast one on God, or do we come to Him seeking Him? The other question we should be asking is, before we even ask a question, do we give the situation or the wrestle over to God? And this is a really difficult one, because we go and we pray, and we're like, Lord, and this kind of ties into the seeking uh, your answer or His answer, but we go and we pray, but in our hearts, it's like, I'm going to hold on to this situation. This question, this wrestle is mine. It's not, it's, I'm not going to give it over to God to handle. It's not His. And as Anthony read this morning, Psalm 139, 23 to 24, gives us the heart posture that we should have before we even present a question or a wrestle to God. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous or troubled way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. See, if we approach God in this way, we're like, Lord, know me, search me. You're not just saying like, hey, I have something for you, Lord, but you're saying, I know that you have something for me. And moreover, I know that you know what's going on, and I'm saying that if there's any troubled way in me, if there's any sinful way in me, help me to get rid of that. Help me to walk the way of everlasting before I even present this to you. And it allows us to have freedom with the answer. So whether it's the answer we want or it's the answer we need, we know that it's God's answer, and we know that His authority is over the situation. The next question that I want to ask that Kelly has said in one way or another numerous times is, are you comfortable with the consequences of being obedient with the answer? See, this can be a difficult one too. We ask God, you know... Um, I really don't like where I'm at. Could you uh, provide me with a way to move to New Zealand where it's green and beautiful and less COVID? And God says, no, actually, I want you to move to downtown LA. It's like, if you hear that answer, are you willing to live with the consequences of being obedient with that? Or are you going to dismiss it like the Pharisees? Are you going to say, mm, surely not. I know my own righteousness. I know that I'm good. So before you ask the question, we need to have the, that heart posture of Psalm 139, saying, I give this over to you. Regardless of what you say, Lord, I will be obedient. I love you dearly. So the, the cool thing is that Jesus is the hope in all this wrestling, right? If, we, if there was just wrestling and questioning, and we we're just people that had all these questions, and sometimes we get beautiful answers, right? Sometimes we pray, 
and the Lord answers exactly how we wanted. And we're like, whoa, I didn't expect that to happen because of the, the, un, uh, the lack of faith in our hearts. We're like, wow, God answered the prayer exactly how I needed it to be answered, exactly how I want it to be answered. But oftentimes, it's not how we want it to be answered. But Jesus is the hope in that answer. And we see, I wanted to go through that list of what Jesus was saying, both about himself and about the Pharisees, because we see the Pharisees had all these questions, right? And the answer to every single one of those questions was, I am, right? They're asking all these questions about who their father was and how come your followers don't die and all these big things. And Jesus says, I am Messiah. I am God, right? And so sometimes we ask questions and God comes back and he says, I am God. <laughs> How do you guys deal with that? <laughs> that can be rough. But Jesus is the one that gives us the hope in this. And we kind of skipped in my uh, summary of the passage. Uh, I believe it's in verses 39. Um, pardon me. No, I can't find it. Well, Jesus, uh, there's a passage, and Jesus gives us the hope. He gives us the good stuff, if you will. And he says, uh, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So see that Jesus calls us to follow him and abide in him. And in return, we get to walk in light, and we will never taste death. And so I want to say that regardless of what we're questioning, regardless of what we're asking, regardless of what we're struggling with, Jesus is declaring that he is the light over those questions, that regardless of what the answer is, Jesus is saying, I am, I am Messiah. And so I want you guys to look at your cards that you wrote while Anthony was doing a great job with our kids. What question did you write on that card? You don't have to say it out loud. I have no clue what you wrote on those cards, right? But I want to tell you, the answer to whatever you wrote on that card is I am. And if that's difficult, you're probably in good company. And I encourage you, God wants us to have this wrestle, this back and forth, this tug of war. But we need to understand that God's at the other end of the rope, like with his pinky, you know, like pulling the rope. And we're like struggling with all our might. And God's saying, like, I have this rope, and I'm going to give you a little bit of grace in this situation. When I declare I am and you have unfaithfulness, I'm going to let you tug a little. But I, at the end of the day, when I pull you and you fall in the dirt, you need to understand that I have control of the situation. Or we can think of it as like a physical wrestle. You know, in uh, wrestling terms, if you're, if you're pinned to the mat and you tap out, it's called submitting. Right? And so God wants us to have this relationship with us where we can have this healthy wrestle. We can ask questions. We can be like David who cried out and be like, why is this happening? Why are all my enemies against me? I'm in a horrible place. Like, why is this going on? And at the end of David's prayers, he always turns to God and says, you're so faithful. You're so good. And I love you. Right? So God wants to have this wrestle with us. But before we even get into that wrestling mat, we need to understand that God's going to pin us. We may squirm around and no, I don't want to submit. But as soon as we tap, he's going to give us free freedom. He's going to give us room. He's going to say, uh, Jesus here says, My, the, um, the truth will set you free. The truth being that God has the authority. The truth that God is Messiah. The truth that he can speak into our lives and say, I am. 
and be 100% right. He's his own witness. He can judge. So, something that I'm wrestling with right now, kind of constantly, is having a home that is chaotic. And I have four little ones, and we live in a house that's pretty darn small, and there's no room for anything. We have twin babies. Twin babies, you think they're little, and they're like, you can just like put them in a corner. They have so much stuff. They take up more room in the house than I do. And the reason I wrestle with this is because we moved to Chino out of faith for what God wanted to do. And when we started to do the pre-launch meetings here, when we reopened the church, Brittany and I were living in Corona. And every time we drove back to Corona, there was an ache in our hearts. And it was like, I don't know why we're even driving back. Like, there's something wrong. There's, I just feel like we're leaving home, right? And so we didn't really even talk about it. We just kind of were like, man, I feel like we're being called to, to be in Chino. And so we had made that decision. And long story short, we're over here, and we sold our house over there, and now we're living in this uncomfortable situation, and I find myself just wrestling with God. It's like, I don't have enough room. The mess is stressing Brittany out. Like, there's no place for me to, like, set up a, a toy for the kids because we have all this stuff. And I find myself constantly wrestling and forgetting the grace that God gave me to allow me to move here. And honestly, I'm thankful for the wrestle. I'm thankful for it because every time that I wrestle with it, every time it's like, man, Lord, why did you have me sell the house? Like, why did you have me move here? I, like, there's all these different things I could look at and be uncertain and have little faith in. Every time I do that, he says, no, you did that because I said to. You did that because there's fruit to bear in Chino. You did that because there's a community to love. There's a people to love. There's good work to do. And even though it didn't make sense to sell the house, even though by world standards it was difficult, it was something that you guys really loved, I asked you to do that, and there you are bearing fruit because of it. So I'm sorry for getting emotional, but it's, it's a wrestle for me, right? It's not like God comes into the ring and he's like, you're struggling with this? Like, I'm going to Mike Tyson you, like, 30-second knockout, right? But he comes in the ring and he's like, I want to wrestle with you. I want to bring you back to the truth of who I am. Like with the Pharisees, he wrestled with them. And every time that I wrestle with it, he turns me back to the truth of who he is. He reminds me of the grace that he has, the good gifts that he has in my life. And somehow it becomes unimportant that I'm uncomfortable. Right? I'm running out of time. So I want us to end by looking at Job, right? Job is an incredible example of how to healthily wrestle with God. And so the story of Job is this. He was a man of faith, and he was so faithful that the devil came to God, and he said, I bet I can make him unfaithful. I bet I can make him not follow you. So essentially, God said, go ahead, do with him as you will. He is my loyal subject. And so Job had everything taken from him. He had his family taken from him. He had his health. And not just taken, like, put into another place. They died. He had his health taken from him, his finances, his livestock, his social status. All these things Job had stripped from him. And we see for 30-some chapters, Job cry out to God, questioning, wondering where he's at. And in the midst of that, declaring, like, Lord, I know you're good, but what in the world is going on? How am I supposed to... How am I supposed to live with what is going on? And it's pretty cool because 
God just doesn't come in and say, I am, but he says kind of a long form of I am to Job. And 30, chapters 38 through 40, pretty much the entire chapters are God's response to Job. And God says, Job, where were you the day that I formed the earth? Where were you when I measured where the shores were be, would be? Did you walk at, do you, can you walk in the depths of the ocean? Do you hunt the prey for lions? Do you tell the lightning bolts where to strike? Do you have dominion over all things? And so God comes in and he says, I know that you're questioning, but this is who I am. This is the authority that I carry. This is the one that you follow as your God. And Job, in all of his pain, and all of his hurt, and his suffering, and questioning, and definitely wrestling, this is what Job comes back with after God answers him. He says, I know that you can do all things. And I have a typo in my notes. I know that you can do all things. And I know the purpose, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have uttered things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And I skipped over, there. there's a few verses there I skipped over, which is basically Job reflecting on words that God said. So God said, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And I will uh, hear and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. So after all this hardship, Job says, I submit myself to you. I am humble before you. I despise myself because I see how righteous and holy you are. And he repents. And that's how we're called to wrestle. And in this world right now, there's a lot to wrestle with. You know, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of uncertainty. And God's here to say, in the middle of the wrestle, I am I am the Messiah, I am the God over it all, that I have control over the situation, that my plan is good. And as Job said, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This morning, whatever God wants in your life, there's nothing that can stop or thwart his plans. And I think that's illustrated in Jesus' persistence with these Pharisees. Nothing was going to thwart his plans. And it says about midway through, I think it was around verse 29, it says, Jesus spoke these things in the treasury of the temple, but nobody arrested him because his time had yet to come. See, nothing is going to stop God's plan in your life. Nothing is going to stop him from loving you. If you're wrestling, it's okay. If you're questioning, it's okay. But we need to have the posture that God is the authority over those questions and the wrestling. As soon as we turn it into us having the authority or seeking something other than Jesus, It's an unhealthy wrestle. And so let's remember that God is patient with us, that God is kind with us, that even when he points out flaws in our life, it is out of love, because he wants to draw us closer to who he is. And I know that it's difficult to hear, but when when we're walking in obedience to Jesus, he is the light of our life. I know from my own wrestle that I explained, there is light in that situation, even when I feel like I am struggling, when I feel like there is hurt and uncertainty. God brings light into that, and it's so wonderful. 